Hi, this is Graham Brown and welcome to the Excel Podcast. The Excel Podcast is a platform for the bigger conversations about leadership in the 2020s. Who's leading? How are they leading? And what stories do they have to share? Through the stories of leaders, we'll address the big challenges of our times from the era of AI to the Asian century to nurturing a new generation of entrepreneurs. If you're enjoying these conversations, subscribe to the podcast at xlpodcast.org. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the XL Podcast, which is talking about leadership in the exponential era. The challenges we face aren't incremental, they're exponential. These are of a different magnitude and a different scale. So the responses aren't going to be quantitatively better, but qualitatively better. We live in a time of great change and leaders need to step up, speak out from climate change to diversity. The C-suite are themselves looking for leadership. So who do you turn to at times of great change like now? And how do you speak up without speaking out of tune? And how do you navigate this ever-changing world of work when it seems we're only just getting used to getting back into the office? To help us answer that question, I'm joined by Harvard MBA and personal branding expert, Brenda Bentz. She's walked a mile in your shoes, that of the Fortune 100. She was an executive. We'll talk a little bit about that in a background coming up. She's recognized as by Thinkers50 as a leading global coach. Numerous books on Amazon, which we'll refer to today, including The Forgotten Choice, which was quoted by New York Times bestseller Ron Kaufman as being more than just a useful reminder. It's an encouraging guide to thoughtful action and to action in your thoughts. Brilliant. So let's talk about thoughtful action, Brenda, from the inside out. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Graham. Really good to connect. Yeah, great to have you here. Now, you work primarily with the C-suite and... We live in a time when it seems that being a leader, it's a bit of a thankless task, isn't it? But before we get to that, before we get to the challenges and the problems that C-suite face today, let's think about who you or the C-suite should look up to. Who are the positives out there? Who are the role models that you think are a class act? They could be in business, they could be in politics, they could be in society. Who do you look to as a touchstone when you say, yeah, that's great leadership? Well, I'm going to share maybe a little bit of a surprising answer to that, Graham, and that is Elon Musk. And I'm going to explain Mm. why I say this. Elon Musk is focused on the future. Elon Musk isn't tied back by the past. And so many leaders today need to adapt that same mindset. Because if we're constantly relying on the past, given how fast everything's changing today, your solutions that you've come up with and put time and energy and money into are going to be obsolete by the time you actually need to implement them. So I always say, look to the future. And I think one of the most looking to the future leaders we have today is Elon Musk. He sees things in ways that we don't. And I encourage C-suite leaders to do the same. You've got to find that balance of visioning for the future and balancing what's happening today. And I Mm. think those that do that will come out swimmingly in the midst of all that's going on. What does he have? personality-wise that makes him set up to do that? Is it just a lack of care for what other people think or is it something else? I don't think it's personality. I think it's the way he thinks. Hmm. He's not willing to be limited by reality. You know, the past creates the, the present and it always has. Past has always created the present, but we often rely on the past. And so we keep getting the same thing over and over and over again, because our past is creating our present. Our past is creating our present. Our past is creating our present. It takes that leader who can say, I'm going to shift my mindset. I'm going to move away from 
that present because I know it's just a reflection of the past. I'm actually going to really try to vision what the future can be. And we often limit ourselves. We limit ourselves. I always say when the world outside is in a complete state of disruption, what do you need disrupt to disrupt? The one thing inside of you that can change all of that. And that's the way you think. Mm. Thinking big enough, Graham, that's my challenge. Yeah, well, we live in a time of disruption. And disruption in every aspect of life. Let's look at where that's affecting us. And by the way, great call on Elon Musk. I'm a big fan going a few back a few years of John F. Kennedy and, you know, the moonshot, which I suppose he was the Elon Musk of his era, wasn't it? That he got people thinking about what's possible. What's mm. possible? I call it the joy of possibility. We're so stuck in a place of fear. We don't think we are, but we really are. What if we try something different? What if mm. it doesn't work? That kind of thinking isn't going to get us anywhere in today's disruptive world. We have to think about the possibilities. And those leaders that do, those are the, one that are the ones that are excelling. There's potentially the difference between leadership and management as well, isn't it? That leadership is perhaps stepping up and disrupting their thought process or thinking differently. Whereas a manager, I mean, they say if they gave the challenge of going to the moon to a manager, they would have built a bigger tower. So they were just kind of optimized what they had already, whereas it took somebody to step up and say, no, we've got to think differently about that. Well, and, and manager is more incremental change. Mm. A leader is that disruptive shift. And mm. today we need, in the middle of disruption, we need disruptive leaders. But out of, out of that chaos comes opportunity. Out of that chaos comes opportunity. And it always has. If you look at the history of humankind, it's always come out. Beautiful things have always come out of disruption. And we're do you think beautiful things will come? I mean, look around. We, it's crisis in everything. So let, let's just go through the list, the shopping list of crisis in the news at the moment. And maybe you can help us step back and understand where we are a little bit. COVID, looks like we've just got out of the woods on that. Geopolitical crisis, I mean, name your continent, it's happening. Climate change, diversity and inclusion in the workplace, um, digital transformation, and work from home. So th there's a number of crises. Is this always the case? You know, do we always have crises? It just seems like right now is a time of intense disruption. Is that sort of a signal of how things will be moving forward for leaders? I think it all rests in how we perceive these crises. Don't get me wrong. What's happening in some of these geopolitical, I mean, some of these situations are truly dire, and I don't, don't, don't want to belittle that. But my point is, how do you see, for someone, every one of those things you just mentioned is going to be an opportunity. Mm. Even COVID was an opportunity. If you were a mask maker, if you right. were, right? If you were a hospital, healthcare went through the, I mean, the businesses went through the roof. There were so many positives that did come from COVID and we, we tend to overlook them because we're mm. looking at the negative. But my point is out of chaos always comes opportunity. And that's true for every one of those that you mentioned. Mm. I would challenge leaders to think that way because the leaders who do think that way will end up with the businesses that not only survive, but thrive. Mm. If I can pick one of them, then let's pull it apart. Work from home, mm. which I think is interesting because there's like two different narratives happening at the moment work from home. There's leadership who are kind of trying to dissect this and understand what actually does this mean? Like you say, there's a real opportunity in there, but there is also a crisis. 
I will cite a recent survey, which you've probably seen. Thoughts on this, please, Brenda. Future of Work by RMIT survey, published very recently. They showed that most workers, 89%, say organizations want employees back into the office as much as possible. But when it comes to actually employees who want to go back, the numbers are less than 40%. So it seems that organizations are saying one thing, and employees are saying the other. So obviously the leaders are sort of in between trying to work out how to negotiate this. This manifests in a number of different ways, doesn't it? It's not just, oh, I've got to come into the office, but this affects everything from team communication to even salary to you know, the, the contracts that people sign up for. So what's going on at the moment? You must hear it at the coalface of what leaders are saying, look, I've got these problems. What kind of things are manifesting at the moment and how are they talking about the future of work? I think we have to focus on the what, not the how. And the what for every company on the face of the planet is how can we best serve our customers and our clients? Now, if you get tied up in the how, are we working from home? Are we speaking digitally? Are we, speak, are we doing videos? Are we talking? If you get caught up in the how, you've lost the plot. The plot yeah. is what? How can we, in our current situation, best deliver outcomes for our clients, for our customers. And if you can get leaders to focus on that and get the people working with those leaders to focus on that, suddenly it shifts. Now it becomes kind of an interesting opportunity. All right, how could we work at home and still do supply mm. chain better than that's the way we need to do that? How could we make sure that our video communications are just as effective as in person? How could we? And of course, by the time you stop, start making a list, it gets quite long. Mm. And people start realizing actually we're making too much of the how we're making too much of the how and a lot of times people are are talking about wanting people to be back into the office why because they as leaders are more comfortable with it mm. they know how to lead with people in person but what about what about getting comfortable with a different how a different how ultimately it's the same thing you need to make a connection with the people in your company your team members who are working for you because they're the ones that are delivering value for the organization. They're the ones delivering outcomes for the client. They're the ones delivering what customers need. So make sure they're happy. If they're happy standing on a totem pole somewhere working, fine. Let them stand on a totem pole and work. It doesn't really matter the how. The thing is, are they delivering the value that the customers and clients need that, so that you can meet the needs of those, that audience, that target audience, better than your competition? It's that simple. We overthinking these things, I think. Well, I agree that it's simple, but simple is hard in practice, isn't it? This is the challenge. Like, it what, 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 it exactly. For what are the things that get in the way? I wonder, you know, if we think about, you know, uh, I mean, you're an MBA. I imagine a lot of your clients are MBAs or trained in business in some respect in business management administration. Mm -hmm. And then to what extent, how much of that training was built around in-person leadership? How much traditionally has it been, you know, requiring some kind of physical presence? And then, you know, we're having to adapt as well. I guess that's the challenge, isn't it? Yeah. I would Ever be interested in pulling that apart and seeing what lies underneath the MBA. Ever since the industrial era, we've been working in groups, right? We used to be agrarian societies. We'd be out and about. We never really created, until we created factories, we suddenly put people all together. And they started having to create things physically together. And then we made offices with lots of people sitting in desks, line by line by line, like in a theater. And you had to start working in that way. 
But that was new back then, just like working from home is new now. You know, 25 years from now, people are going to laugh at the fact that mm. we're making such a big deal out of working from home. They're going to go, there were people that worked in offices? Really? <laughs> and I think that's the mindset we have to have. That's the Elon Musk mindset. Mm. Getting past that space of, of limitations of what has been. Because the past is creating the present, but the present is going to create the future. And we're going to get the same thing over and over again unless we change those perceptions. What was that mindset that came before? So if we think about the industrial era mindset and leadership, we all know, for example, the top-down model. But how would that manifest as a leader? And importantly as well, how we rate good leaders and what we thought is good leadership. You know, what kind of qualities would they have in the traditional model? Well, I think good leadership is good leadership. Again, I want to get into the what, not the how. Hmm. Whether I'm connected, I need to build a good trusting relationship with the people who work for me. Why? Because there's research that shows I need to compliment them. I need to let them know when they're doing things well. Research by Glassdoor shows that 37% of people will stay in a job for fear of losing it. Like they'll hmm. work harder. They'll work harder for fear of losing it. 81% are going to work harder because they get compliments and they really appreciate the acknowledgement they get. Now think about that. Think about it. It's simple. We just have knowledge people that are doing well, whether it's via video, whether it's in person, whether it's via phone, it's not that critical. It's mm. how, we are, how we are being as leaders and what we are doing as leaders that makes all the difference. And again, I think we just get too wrapped up in the how. Mm. It's almost the small things as well that, that come with the mindset, which are quite natural, like the complimenting of people, which they might not teach you at Harvard Business School. You know, they might not to teach, refer to the old Chris McCormack book, right? So, you know, those kind of small things. I mean, but he was all about that, even in the book about what they don't teach you at Harvard Business School was all about mm. those sort of personality, the openness, sense of humor, humility, right. and all these kind of things. And I think that's changing today. I think the face of that's changing because the the massive humanity of people working want that in a leader. Mm. So everything's changing in that regard. But, you know, again, I think that we have to kind of consider that leadership is always going to change. Leadership has always changed. It's, it's, it's a continuum like it always has been. And jobs are going to come and jobs are going to go. And the nature of those jobs are going to be different. But leadership is still the same. Are you getting, are you leading people in a way that helps them deliver what we need as a corporation, as a company, that's going to keep our customers satisfied more than the competition. It's really that simple. What are the big myths then that hold people back that are sort of perpetuated in the media about leadership and change at the moment? Because I'm sure, yes, it's simple. And if you sat down with Brenda, she would help you focus on the main thing. And yet the problem is, is when they go back to the office, when they pick up magazine or they read their social media feeds that gets in their head and there's myths that are being perpetuated at the moment which i suppose get in the way of making positive change don't they what are the sort of typically the big myths at the moment floating around about leadership and change for the people that you work with or you've come across in your conversations there's so many but one is that video is second best to in person I hear that all the time. And I always say, what you think is what you get. If you believe that video mm. is second best, guess what? You're not going to perform well on video and it will be second best. 
That's one, for example. That's a really big myth. Another one is we need to make sure we maintain our efficiency. We must have our efficiency. We've got to make sure no matter how we, we have efficiency. Efficiency can be the enemy of connection. Mm. We need connection. And when you can connect first, it will actually drive better efficiency ultimately. So making sure that people are getting what they need from a leader. They want guidance. They want perspective. They want to be shown the bigger picture. They want to know they're connected to a bigger purpose. All these organizations that are looking at purpose right now, they're on the right track. Hmm. People want to know that when they go to work, they're going for a reason. There's a reason to get up in the, in the morning because you're making a difference in the world. Hmm. Yeah. Now we're getting down to the idea of reward and motivation to work. I mean, this is never really been a question until the COVID situation appeared. And obviously salary is a big part of it, but now people are asking questions, aren't they? Just going back, I love this idea about efficiency getting in the way of connection as well. And uh, you can see that a little bit with communication, can't you, in the workplace with, I know we talk about Zoom, but Zoom can be, or video can be as good as in person, if not better, obviously more effective in time. But we seem to see it now that it's a bit more transactional, isn't it? That you have your 15, 20 minute call, get the stuff done, move on. There seems to be less, and I think leaders probably are feeling this more. I'm curious about your thoughts on this, of those sort of loose connections, the water cooler moments yeah. where you just kind of hang out and you have lunch. You know, if you're a leader, you're often you're seen as uh, an echelon above mm. and therefore maybe unapproachable. Mm. And maybe you have lunch with the guy or, you know, you have coffee with somebody, you think, actually, they're not bad. Yeah. I like them. We're, we're missing those, what I call micro meetings. Mm. You know what I mean? The water cooler chats, the running by someone in the hallway and saying, hey, by the way, I thought about something the other day. And so what I'm encouraging leaders to do and what I see a lot of the successful leaders doing is they're still having those. They're making 10 minute chats and they're going online and say, we're not going to talk about work. Mm. We're going to talk about you personally. I had a perfect, uh, an example of a global supply chain leader who was just took over in the heart of COVID. Can you imagine global supply chain for a large pharmaceutical company wow. <laughs> in the middle of COVID taking over yep. global job, 40 countries that he had to cooperate, coordinate. His first meeting, we, we strategized about it. He said, I've got 40 people online hmm. and he was, you know, get her done. It has to get done. It has to get done. We're, we're behind on supply chain. We've got lots of issues. And he decided to do some of the work we'd been doing and focus on connection. Hmm. He decided he was going to focus on connection. So he literally had everyone in that room, in that 40-person room, go around and talk about what's happening in their country personally. How are they experiencing this themselves? He said they had people connecting in ways they would never connected before. And he said from that moment on, everything shifted. So again, bringing in those purposeful conversations around the relationships versus the hmm. tasks. Mm. Are we focusing on relationships or tasks? Relationships or tasks? I always encourage leaders to draw a circle in the morning. And if you really want to focus, think about where you're placing your focus. Are you placing your focus on tasks, getting the work done, the projects that need to move forward? Are you focusing on relationships, truly building relationships that matter to people in the workplace, that it will inspire people? And if you think of that circle as a pie graph, what's the ratio mm. between tasks and relationships? And most leaders, when they're being honest, they'll say somewhere between 
70 to 90 percent on tasks and maybe 10 to write 30 percent on relationships. And when they can actually understand the importance of those relationships and how in today's world, more than ever, Graham, if you don't build relationships, people won't stay. Mm. People won't stay. The great resignation wave is not absolutely the great resignation wave is just the great disconnection. I don't have any connection to that company or to that leader because I'm not really being treated as an individual and I'm, I just move on. Yeah. They say people don't leave jobs, they leave bosses, right? It seems to be a well-worn maxim at the moment, but absolutely you're spot yeah. on there. It's, yeah. yeah. I like this idea as well about the focusing on connection and sometimes you need somebody to remind you to do that because most leaders I would think are in the whirlwind, like your client that you just mentioned, taking over this situation. The knee-jerk reaction is to get stuck in and focus on the biggest task in front of them. And then before they know it, weeks and months have passed and he, he's already into the job. So there's no time to go back and do the introductions, right? It's, it's missed an opportunity, but you need somebody really to kind of just pull you back a little bit and say, wait a minute, let's do the groundwork here because, you know, the ROI on that is long term. Because, yeah, and, and the who's, how is the work going to get done? It's going to get done through the people. Mm. And, and you mentioned earlier motivation. It's an important point about that I think that's worth mentioning perhaps. There's motivation, which is kind of something on the outside. You know, it's the carrot at the end of the stick. I'll make more money. I'll get promoted faster. I'll mm. you know, get a better job title. I'll, you know, whatever. That's kind of motivation on the outside. What motivates people? And this is extremely important for people to understand, for leaders to understand. But more importantly, that's, in, that's motivation. What about the inspiration? We'll get a lot more done with inspiration than with motivation. Inspiration comes from inside. Am I tied to a bigger purpose? Am I doing something that's meaningful to me in my, in my work and in my life? Am I doing something that at the end of the day, I look back and say, I made a difference? That, that inspiration will go far farther than the motivation. Mm. And I think what's happening is we keep relying on motivation to kind of bring people along and bring people along. But until that inspiration is there and you have to ask, what motivates you? I have a motivators exercise I give my clients to look at with their team members. And I'll never forget, I remember once I was working with an investment banker. And what it is, it's a motivators exercise, Graham. And it has like 11 different typical, most profound, important motivators. And you have to rank them, number one down to number 11, what's most important to you and least important to you. And, and I shared this with this investment banker leader and, and she kind of laughed and she said, oh, no, 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 you, I, we're investment bankers, Brenda. You know, <laughs> well, I know what motivates people. Yep. It's, it's money. money, right? Yep. It's money. And she, I said, do me a favor, just, you know, favor me, just give me a break, let's try it. She came back a month later, absolutely amazed. She said only three out of the 10 people that reported to her said money. Mm. Others said far more flex time, time with my family, a chance to have a better balanced work, work style, on and on and on and on. And she said, I would never have guessed that. So we have to ask what motivates people? What is it that inspires people that on the inside that that will make a difference in their performance and how they and their connection to you and to the company. Yeah, that's really insightful, isn't it? That maybe at first glance, they're all going to say money, but when you probe a little bit, you get beyond that. Yeah. How, how do leaders then create that environment where people can talk frankly? 
because this seems to be, we talk about authenticity and we talk about open conversations, but more than just paying lip service to this, how does a leader actually create that culture? Because to get people to speak up and say, actually, this is what really motivates me. Even to talk about family, you would have thought years ago, right? You've got the office nearest the door now. You've got the next one out chair. Mm-hmm. Like that was kind of a sign of weakness, but leaders now have to create these environments when those conversations are okay. Where does that start? What does a leader do in that process such that they can talk openly about motivations and can get that kind of insight from their people? One of the most important, people often ask me, what's the most important leadership characteristic? I get asked that question a lot. And my answer is often a bit surprising to a lot of people. To me, it's listening. Because you're one of 10,000, 100,000, whatever people that you're leading. And all those brains are better than yours. You know, and that's part of the humility of being in, in the C-suite mm. and the high-level leaders. You have to recognize that others have the answers. You cannot have all the answers. But in order to get those answers, you have to ask. And then you have to listen. And I think it comes down to how you are being, not just what you're doing. So I can listen. Yes, I'm listening. No, I'm listening. I'm listening. Go ahead. Listen. <laughs> or uh, I'm listening. And you sit mm. back and you relax and you really take it in. And I think in today's fast-paced, make-it-happen world, we don't do enough of the latter. We don't do enough of that truly sitting back and absorbing what other people think. Or if we do, and we're listening to what they have, that little voice inside is saying, as soon as they stop talking, I'm going to say... Yeah, this is what (laughs) I'm saying next. (laughs) I'm going to say this next, right? So we're not truly listening. And I think the best, I can guarantee you, the best C-suite executives, they're listening. They're Mm. listening. Because they know they don't have all the answers. Mm. And nor should they. Yeah. So ask. Ask about the culture. Ask about what people need. Ask about. It's funny. A lot of people, um, employees have told me, yeah, but if I say I don't need money and it's not first, well, I'm not getting any more That's going to backfire. Right? And we say, no, you have to come at this from a balance. You can say, look, we all want money. We all need mm. money. Just what? But here's the things that are critically important that speak to my soul. And that's mm. the questions you have to ask. I want to play devil's advocate a little bit here that the industrial model did allow us to listen. We had reviews. We had quarterly reviews for that thing. And we even introduced these 360 reviews for leaders where leaders would ask their people to review them. So in some sense that existed already, why is that not good enough? Well, first of all, it was, okay, one hour, one time a year, I'm going to tell you all the things you did wrong. Yeah. <laughs> We've got enough time. And I have, next. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't exactly motivating, right? Um, and I say, there should never be any surprise feedback. If you're doing hmm. a good job of leadership, you're giving feedback every single moment you can. That's interesting. Someone does something well, yeah. you tell them. Someone does something well, you tell them. Someone does something well, you tell them. Someone does something that's not well, you tell them hmm. immediately. These are more like nudges as opposed to big sort of sledgehammer type feedback. No, there's no sledgehammer. It's Mm. it's all in how you present it too, right? See, you got to be specific. So you say, you know, I really like the way that you started out that agenda and and Mm. ran the meeting last week. You were spot on. You stayed on time. You embraced other people's points of view. We ended on time. And on top of that, I felt there was a really good ambiance in the room. I really Mm. appreciated that. As you cannot imagine how much people crave that. We aren't getting that. 
we just come out of the meeting and say, I wonder how that went. I wonder how that went. Mm. And we never give feedback. I mean, just a simple example. But I see this time and time and time again. So mm. I, there's a five to one. Harvard Business Review came out with a five to one ratio. They, they did research that showed if five, five compliments to every one opportunity for improvement is what works for, for people. Now, interestingly, that has changed with Generation Y. Mm. It, it's, it's actually seven to one. So whether we like it or not, and a lot of leaders say, oh, I'm, I, I wasn't molly coddled like that. I Snowflakes. Don't, I, yeah, yeah I don't, I never got that kind of food. It doesn't matter. Mm. You weren't eating, you know, you weren't eating the kind of food we're eating today too, but does it matter? No, okay. You've got to do what people want. Because the other thing about leadership today, Graham, it's become very personal. Mm. Leadership has become very personal. Each individual sees themselves as an individual personal brand. Why? Because they've been on social media and they have all these, you know, I'm, I'm special, I'm interesting, I'm different, I'm, I'm unique, I'm myself. And we have to honor that. So how do you lead in a personal world? Personal leadership becomes really critical. So understanding what each person is motivated by, understand what inspires them, understand how to communicate with them. Understand, that, again, that seven to one ratio of do they need feedback? Give them feedback. That's what they're craving. And I often say, you know, people say, oh, I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. I said, it doesn't cost you anything. Mm. It's free. If someone said to you, Graham, I tell you what, I will crawl over cut glass for you as an employee. I will work. I'll come in early. I'll work late. I promise. I'll do everything you need to deliver outcomes. I just want one thing. And that is a steak dinner every Friday night. Would you do it? I would do it in a heartbeat because my return on investment is enormous. But that would cost you money. Giving compliments doesn't cost you anything. And it is today's steak dinner. That's what people are looking for. They want that feedback. Young people need that feedback. We all need that feedback. Mm. So being really specific in that feedback and regular about it. And then when something does come up that needs improvement, they're far more likely to be comfortable with it. It's very interesting, isn't it, that our ideas about leadership, there are some fundamentals which are timeless, and yet there are these challenges, like how we've been trained to be leaders. And the idea of feedback is a, a curious one, isn't it? That is, especially there's some cultural differences. We're based here in Asia. Um, we're from the West, and we are quite used to that idea of giving people positive feedback and complimenting people. You see it at school, um, and you even see at the very young age, teachers overcompensate for that you know not good sitting children you know all those kind of things start trying to give good feedback and encourage good behavior now you've experienced asia you've lived here a number of years you know how it is in asian cultures as well i've lived in singapore and japan which are very like you know, japan even particular how they would not give positive feedback and it was always like you know this is what you're doing wrong this is what you need to correct so there's i'm trying to think about what the counter arguments would be from people who say, well, that's easy because you're an American and, you know, that comes naturally. But for us, you know, like, that's not an easy thing to do. Is that an excuse or is it just going to require more work? What is easier? Having to replace 40% of your staff because you have turnover and they've all left and you have an operational risk because you can't even run your business or giving someone a compliment once in a while. <laughs> it's all relative. It's what people want. 
It's what people want. In the old days, uh, you know, getting a car for the business was a big deal. Well, mm. we don't do that anymore. Today, it's getting compliments. Mm. It, 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 again, it's all perspective. It's all what people want. We have to respond to what is desired. It's that simple. Do you know how much money it's costing companies that are leaving people, that people are leaving? It's extraordinary. Mm. It's running into the billions, if not trillions of dollars. I mean, some companies are literally running into operational risk because they're so short-staffed, especially in professional services. They're so short-staffed because people are gone where professional services all about the people. Mm. They're gone. And they're trying to hire so rapidly. And even the, if it can get people in quickly, do you know the cost of trying to uptrain that person and get them ready for what they need to do and the chance of error and all that? The cost is enormous. So again, it's really looking at it from that perspective of mm. what do I need to do? And okay, maybe it's different than the culture I grew up with, but so is the way we order food today. And so mm, is the way we shop true. for food today. We've all adjusted to that just fine. What is it about complimenting that seems so difficult? And that's what I help leaders look at. Yeah, I was reading, I think SAP consultancy spends a billion dollars a year, a billion on employee retention, just that. So you can imagine what they go through just to keep people, because what stops you leaving? You know, I'm, I'm going to go and work for McKinsey or Bain or whatever. Yeah. You know, the, the attrition rates are, are probably quite high unless people are really happy. And at the end of the day, there's after a certain amount of pay, happiness is marginal, they say. That's so it. what's because going to make that person happy is those compliments. It comes to motivation versus inspiration. Motivation on the outside. I want more money. I want a title. I want you think you want those things and then you get them. The number of leaders who walked into my office and says, I got it. I got all the money I wanted. I got the job title. I got all the perks. I'm still not fulfilled. Mm. Why? Because it's the inspiration inside. What's speaking to your heart? What speaks to your soul? What do you, what's your true fulfillment as a leader? What would that look like, taste like, feel like? We don't spend enough time on that. We look on the outside. We don't look on the inside. On those sort of very core issues, when you're talking about emotion, you're talking about what people really want, you know, beyond the superficial. We're getting down to a level which I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this, something that's talked about a lot today. And I wonder if it's just a buzzword or it's real. Vulnerability with leadership is that they're saying, oh, you have to be vulnerable. You have to dare to be vulnerable. And so we see leaders saying to everybody, it's okay to make mistakes, but they don't make mistakes. So, so they want to tell people it's okay, but they're not setting an example. So it's, it's hard, isn't it? Because you spent all your career being invulnerable. Yes. Building the armor, the efficiency that you talked about, isn't it? It's the opposite of connection that you become more and more machine-like because you don't make mistakes. That must be a really hard one to get through. How do you address that? Because like you say, you're asking people to talk about quite personal things and maybe they can get their employees and their teams to talk about it. But when, what do you leader? think about, or what do you care about? And they're like, oh, okay, this is not about me. They don't want to go into that place. How do you deal with that? Yeah. And is it something, is it real? Is it something that we need to talk about on the inside? Well, first of all, I, for those that are quite uncomfortable going there, and frankly, a lot of leaders are, because it's, again, you said the model of leadership is not to be vulnerable. That's not the typical way that you know, leadership has been set up. For those that are really quite uncomfortable with it, I say, don't go to vulnerability right away. Go to authenticity. 
Go to being genuine. Go mm. to being honest. Those are good first steps. I like to talk about when it comes to communication, I talk about the Stockdale paradox, such a powerful paradox. And if you know, James Stockdale was an American soldier, actually he was an American naval officer in the Vietnam American War. And he got captured and was a POW for seven straight years, seven straight years. Mm. And what he noticed, and he actually wrote a book about it, it's quite fascinating. He, wrote, he said he noticed that three, three groups of people in the POWs, he became kind of the de facto leader of those POWs that were all held in that camp. And he said what he learned, there was three distinct groups. The first, the people who died first were the blind pessimists. Those are the people who, oh, is, this is going to end badly. Mm. We're all going to die. This is not good. You know, and they all died. They were died first. They died first. What he noticed is the second group, the group that died second, were the blind optimists. We're going to be out by Christmas time. We're going to be out by spring. Oh, we're going to be out next week. And of course, that never happened. They lost hope and they died. What I'm encouraging leaders to do is the third piece. And what he said, people who lived the longest and survived the entire experience was that. They were, they were hopeful pragmatists. They were realistic. We're in this situation. It's not, you know, we don't know when it's going to change. That's honesty. That's genuine. That's authenticity. But I also know that's, that's the pragmatic piece. The hopeful piece was, but I also know that as humans, we have overcome this type of thing for, for years, for decades, for centuries. And we will come over this too. I've been using that uh, a lot with leaders during COVID. We've over, humans have overcome hmm. pandemics for years, centuries, millennia, okay? We've done that. So this isn't going to be any different. We will eventually come out of this. That's that hopeful pragmatism. And that's what I talk about when you're being honest. Don't worry about vulnerability for right now. Just be honest. That hopeful pragmatism. How can you balance a sense of hope with us and potentiality with a sense of pragmatism. Here's what's going on. Here's what mm. I, and one of the most honest things leaders can say today, and I encourage people to say this is, I don't know where this is going to end. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's happening tomorrow. You know, we don't know, have a clue what's going to be the next pandemic and the next, this and the next geopolitical and this and the next climate. We don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is we've got a purpose. We know that we are here to serve our clients. We know that we're here to serve our customers. We know that we can, we're going to be better in the market than our competition because we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And, and we're going to stay focused on that. That's hopeful pragmatism. And it's, that's, and it's honest. And it's honest. Yeah, that's great. I love the Stockdale story as well. Mm. That's a great one to remember. And many a true lesson in that regarding and where we are now, I mean, sort of bringing this back full circle, we started about these sort of huge disruptions. This idea about saying, I don't know, that's powerful, isn't it? And more like, I guess if you're a leader as well, if you're saying, I don't know, it kind of relieves the stress a little bit of having to be the one who knows everything. Because, yeah, like you say, we're going to make it through these crises. We always do over time. Much of the stress comes from leadership having to pretend they've got an answer and you know show up and present face and yet that creates that huge stress of hiding the reality from people 
and saying, actually, maybe this isn't as good as I've been telling everybody. But if you are honest and open about that and say, hey, look, you know, I don't know. I haven't got a clue. But maybe you know, but we're going to find it out. We're going to find an answer because this is our purpose, right? We'll navigate and improve as we I really go through. Think that's, I think the power of I don't know is woefully underestimated. It's mm. so important. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's a chance for a leader to say, I don't know. But what I do know is you're going to be the first people to hear when I do figure this out or when we figure this out, or we're going to work on this together to find the answer. Mm. And when you do, what a celebration that's going to be. We're going to figure this out. That's what people need to know. They don't need you to be perfect. They don't. Mm. They don't. When you put someone up on a pedestal, the only thing that's going to happen is potentially fall off and it doesn't serve. And that's not what people want today either. Young people don't want that. They don't want that perfection at the hot, at the, in the ivory tower. Nobody mm. wants that. They want a real person they can relate to and that they like. You know, there's respected and liked. Respected and liked. And both of those are really important at leadership levels. But you've got to find that right balance. I think a lot of leaders are very respected, but nobody wants to work for them. Mm. Or a lot of, if they're really, really liked, everyone has a great time, good fun, but you don't get a lot done. So you've got to find that balance between respected and liked. Again, that circle. Think about your respected versus liked ratio. Brenda Benz, everybody. Wonderful conversation. Helping leaders get refocused, recalibrate in these times of great change. And a lot of your work is helping leaders to become better leaders and coaches in their own right to their own people. Where do we find out more about you, Brenda? Yeah, visit my site. It's just www.brendabents.com. And I, you can sign up for my newsletter there. I talk about leadership from the inside out. That's really critical how we, it all starts on the inside and leads to the outside and how we act, react, look and sound, but how we think and feel starts first. And uh, yeah, and then of course, as you mentioned earlier, my books are on Amazon and feel free to peruse the bookshelf there and see, see if you like what you see. Excellent. Really enjoyed talking to you today, Brenda. Some insights as well, you know, some great wisdom in these times of need. So thanks for coming on the show today. You're more than welcome. It was great to connect with you, Graham. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to the XL Podcast with me, Graham Brown. To subscribe and discover more conversations, go to www.xlpodcast.org.